On today's episode of the FYA interview series, we've got a fun one. We've got Pastor Claude Acho. Uh, Pastor Claude's been here about 18 months, and he talks about everything from growing up in the Pacific Northwest, being the son of an uh, African immigrant, um, growing up with a love of basketball and books kind of simultaneously, and then uh, what the different culture changes have been like moving from uh, one corner of the country to the other down uh, into the south about a year and a half ago. And so uh, you won't want to miss this one. Really fun one with Claude. We've also linked some of his writings um, and some of the different articles that he references uh, in the description below. So enjoy it now. Pastor Claude Acho. So to back up, it's the FYA interview series, and we're uh, interviewing folks from fellowship, folks from the community, uh, just people who are uh, influential in this zone. And so, uh, and we're, so we're, we're just trying to figure out kind of uh, who you are and kind of what um, what you would want to say to folks in this season of life. But how are you uh, doing? I'm pretty good, man. Just posted up in house. <laughs> Eternal, so. All right. How has that been so far? What has been your, your secrets to staying out of boredom and, and losing your mind so far being trapped in? Yeah. I mean, uh, part of me, I mean, I love to read. So, you know, being stuck in a house is not the worst thing um, ever. It's more of just like for my kids, it's hard when it's today's nice. It's sunny so they can go outside. Although they're, now paranoid about these giant bumblebees so that's kind of, kind of like running back in the house which defeats the point but yeah it's mostly just with them you know those couple rainy days where they're just you know they're just itching and all that energy they can't get that out so you know as long as they can get outside um that helps but yeah i mean it's it's so weird to just feel constricted from even the option of going to do something or see somebody you know yeah. that's that's the strange part but you know I love to love to read, love to watch movies, um, you know, and so I I'm get I get to do a lot of the stuff I like to do anyway. But, yeah, it's just weird knowing that so many people are are just. Yeah. And a lot. I was just reading a piece in The Times about uh, doctors in Brooklyn and just the choices that they're having to make. So it's just yeah. it's strange to know that that's going on. You know, that was one of the things we've been talking about, which I thought last night was just the, the strangeness of, of also not knowing when this is going to end right. uh, and knowing that there's. Is sort of indefinitely out there. And the scary thing is that we have a reasonable amount of freedom so that uh, should a segment of the population choose to act irrationally, it could flare back up at any time and, and prolong how long that we're uh, all under this. And so it is a, it's a weird time. Um, why, why don't we back up and kind of let you introduce yourself. You're, you're obviously one of the teaching pastors at Fellowship, the Call Your Call Outpost pastor. Um, why don't you tell us about what this last year, year, year and a half? Uh, we, so we moved here, we got here in, in August, 2018. So yeah, okay. year and a half. Yeah. Coming year up on two half. years. Uh, what's this year and a half been like, and, and what is your adjustment to, to fellowship and to Memphis look like for your family? Yeah. You know, so we moved here from, uh, Boston, uh, from, uh, five years of church planning in the city and, uh, we're just, uh, really fortunate to have, a. Some great leadership to take take the reins of that church plan in Boston, and then we're just looking for the next sort of ministry task that got our hearts, you know, really excited. And so that uh, that was down here in Memphis. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a, it's been a pretty big transition. Obviously, it's a big move, but uh, we've done big moves like that before. Move from Seattle to Boston to plant a church in the first place. So big moves aren't new, but they're still hard. I think one of the biggest things is just 
it's such a different way of life. And so, you know, in, in Boston, I would walk everywhere. I drove my car maybe once a week. Um, and so just like the day-to-day ex- physical existence is really different. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, just the time that it takes to build relationships. And, uh, and so we also have a, um, our daughter just turned one. And so we, we moved in and had a new baby pretty quickly. So just a lot of big transitions. And so it's just, that just makes the, 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 the time that it takes to build relationships harder and slower. But, um, you know, one of the things that's been a huge blessing in that is just our team, our staff team at fellowship is just really great. And so I, you know, work is, you know, work and ministry are, are really refreshing. Um, and so I've, I've really loved that. And so that, that's been a huge help. Um, but yeah, man, the physical, just all the stuff with the move, but then just on top of that, the physical existence just feels so different, um, from, from, from what my day to day was subways, <laughs> trains, walking everywhere to like just driving everywhere, you know, yeah. so drive, spend an hour in a car every day when it was, you know, maybe an hour in a car a week. So, well, I feel like it's a mixed bag when people move from different uh climates also so what was your was your adjustment like man this is great I actually like being in the warmer weather or was that way tougher for you what was that adjustment like my only complaint I don't mind the humidity or heat is just the mosquitoes and so that first um that first run with those mosquitoes man that first summer was just really (laughs) brutal that was brutal so I was like what have I done um so in fact today we're like oh we need to get some mosquito stuff so um (laughs) we're probably a couple months late for preparing but um it's it's all good March is mosquito season for sure um, that's awesome. Well, okay, let's, let's, let's get to Boston in a second, but for those who don't know you at all, you, you grew up in the Seattle area. Um, what, what was your childhood like? And tell us about growing up, um, in the Pacific Northwest and what that was like. Yeah. So I grew up, uh, I grew up in North Seattle, a suburb called Linwood, Washington. Um, and so, yeah, that was just kind of, just think of a generic sort of suburb, you know, 15, 20 minutes outside of a major city. That's kind of what it was like. Um, I grew up just myself and my mom, no, uh, no siblings. Um, no, we didn't have any immediate family in the area. So a lot of my friendships were really close, you know, really close ones that were kind of like, like brothers to me. Uh, yeah. and so a big part of my life growing up was just kind of school and, and basketball. So started playing AAU, uh, in fourth grade. So we'd drive into Seattle all the time, travel to Las Vegas for tournaments and uh, as a fourth grader, just stuff like that. Uh, and so that was a big part of growing up. Uh, church was a big part of growing up as well. Always, um, I always positively responded to that. Um, I, I never, it never really felt like something that I hated doing. Now, sometimes obviously as a kid, I, w- I wouldn't be interested, but a lot of times I, w- I was, I have my, my old King James Bible from that time and can see things that I was trying to write down and track with, which is pretty cool. So I really grateful to that church and grateful to my mom for providing that, um, love books. Uh, I, re- I have pretty fond memories of like being second, third grade, going to the library and checking out like seven books and then like reading one chapter of each book, like read a chapter of this book, put that down, read a chapter, <laughs> like just stuff that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> But just just like really remember always liking books and obviously love, you know, libraries, one of my favorite places to this day. So um, so that was part of kind of part of my childhood. And then um, I ended up doing a few years of middle school in Massachusetts. Uh, We just had some family drama. And so we moved to Massachusetts. Uh, So I did that for a few years and then moved back to Seattle, finished high school undergrad grad school and kind of first first pastorate um, north of Seattle, too. So. Uh, Washington and Massachusetts were two pretty big places in, you know, in my story wow. and then in Kelsey and I's story too. Kelsey being my wife. Right, right. Okay, I didn't. I don't think I knew that you went to Massachusetts once. Were you near Boston or, or were you somewhere different in the state? 
I was about 30 minutes out uh, north, a town called Lowell, um, uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, pretty close to New Hampshire. But I would come into Boston on the subway all the time because that's where, you know, everyone would want to hang out or go shopping or whatever. So, yes. um, so yeah, so I just, I remember coming to the city quite a bit, even though we didn't live in the city per se. Man, super interesting. Okay, so um, I feel like the books and basketball combination is not a usual one. Like that's not a normal combination. Sure, sure. Did you feel like an outsider because of that? Did you, or, or did you feel pretty comfortable in your own skin growing up with those two passions? Um, no, I, I think I think there were some interesting things for me growing up that made me feel different. And so, um, yeah, so one of those was you know playing basketball like AAU, like um, you know playing in the city with kind of like a lot of like cool kids, um, kind of like urban kids, and then living in the suburbs. Like I just felt a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there are kids that like you know, had, they had all the stuff. So I just remember distinctly like, oh, like you had the Jordans and I'm like wearing Dennis Rodman Converse shoes, <laughs> you know, and just being like, wow, like, okay, what, what's the deal with this? So, and, right. and, and also like my mom being um, an immigrant from Africa, just even like feeling some of the disconnect between like African-American kids on the team and them kind of being like, like, oh, you're really not like black. You're not really like one of us. And kind of being like, oh, like, is that like, what does that mean? And not really know, like just feeling weird about it, but not really knowing yeah. how to think about that. So, so yeah, I always kind of, there always felt sort of like a, not a total fit um, in some of those ways. And uh, uh, yeah, so, you know, those are interesting things I've tried to reflect on in recent years, but like, I definitely remember yeah. feeling those at the time. Yeah. Now, is your mom, was your mom a first generation immigrant to the States? Uh, yeah, so her older brother came uh, from uh, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast, uh, West Africa, came from uh, Ivory Coast to uh, California. Um, and then my mom followed suit and then her younger sister followed suit and then uh, a few others. Um, a lot of a lot of her family is in Europe, you know, France, Switzerland, okay. different places like that. But then quite a few that, that came to the States. Wow. OK, so how old was she when she came over? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I would say, I want to say she was probably like mid twenties. Okay. Um, okay. Like so she's pretty firmly like adult. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I try to milk out, milk some of those stories from her. Um, right. And, and get get what it was like being in Southern California in the eighties and, and all that stuff. Right. Now that's super interesting. Um. So all right. So you get done with high school. What made you choose to stay local? for your undergrad and went to Western Washington, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. D2, uh, 2011 men's basketball champions. And I was not on the team, but they did win the championship. <laughs> um, you could have just yeah. like, I know, I, I know. I should have. <laughs> um, I, so I, I only applied to two schools for college, actually, interestingly I applied to Oregon state, uh, which, um, was near where, uh, Kelsey's family was. Uh, we didn't know each other at the time. That was just random. And then applied to Western and, uh, just ended up going to Western, um, which was like a little bit North of where I went to high school, like two hours. So I think it was one of those things where I was far enough away from home to feel like I'm on my own, but close enough that my mom could, you know, snatch me up if, if need be. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. I enjoyed that studied English lit as my undergrad and then stayed there. Uh, for grad school and studied English lit as well and got linked in with a really great church um, a couple years into undergrad a church plant where I got to do a lot of ministry and be mentored quite a bit. All right and that transition when you when you start deciding because I would imagine that the English lit major was your thought teaching after after school were you thinking of going into yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I was pretty deep in the teach for America trail. Um, okay. and so I remember reading, uh, 
there's a, a book that stuck with me called Savage Inequalities by Jonathan Kozal, which any okay. of our um, any of our like choose 901 um, kind of like teachers um, MTR, uh, folks. MTR, MTR folks would probably be familiar with it. So, yeah, so I was pretty deep on that track to teach for America and doing something like that, um, teaching in a high school and combining, you know, love, love for working with youth and, and, and books and literacy is a way, way to serve in God's kingdom. And, yeah. um, not that I, I, not that I ended up seeing that as illegitimate by any means. I just ended up having this sense of calling that like my specific direction was going to be a little bit different than that. Okay. And so are, were you kind of volunteering in ministry world and then, and took more of a role in that? Or, or did you like have a moment where you kind of broke from the teaching part and said, I'm going to hunt down a job now in this sector? Yeah. So what happened for me was um, late, late in undergrad, uh, I just started doing, uh, you know, there was a pretty big shift for me that happened probably my sophomore year in college where I just really um, had believed the gospel and understood uh, the basic realities of grace and sin and forgiveness. But those things, God drove those things home for me in a really uh, powerful way. And I kind of realized that um, the way I lived, the way I acted was really no different from anyone else on campus, even though, you know, I was presenting myself as a Christian, even though I was a Christian, there was no discernible difference in my life. And so that brought a real deep conviction of sin, uh, but uh, along with it, uh, a real uh, powerful comfort of God's grace. And so uh, God implanted a lot of new desires in me out of that uh, solely over time. So I started, you know, doing Bible studies, um, trying to like figure out how to connect with my friends who weren't likely to go to campus ministry or anything like that. So out of that, a lot of people uh, that I got to know that were Christians were like, hey, you like you, you, you seem like a pastor type or, or, or something like comments along those lines. And so, yeah. um, and I started to think about that in those terms and then got plugged into a church plant uh, on uh, near campus and was basically like, hey, I think I'm going to be a church planter, like start a church, share the gospel with people. Like, how do I do that? And uh, the planter there was a huge mentor, best friend to this day and was like, yeah, I'll, I'll teach you what I know if you're you know, willing to learn. And so that's sort of how I got on that track through kind of like volunteer mentorship, discipleship. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so you, you okay, work in ministry there for a couple of years and then the, the interest comes to start to look toward Boston to plant there. Like what, what was that? Does that, did any of that come from having a stint living there or was it, was it? Yeah, that was, de- yeah, that definitely was part of it. So, um, so yeah, so, um, Kelsey and I got married in 2010. Uh, I was in my first year of graduate school, um, and she had just finished her undergrad. Uh, we met my uh, sophomore year, her freshman year at Western. And so, um, so yeah, so I, we were pretty, we had processed church planting. Once we felt like that was something that God was calling us to do, we started to think about where um, my, one of my good friends was like, Hey, you, one of my mentors, he was like, Hey, do you think about Boston? And I was like, I had not, but that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, I love, love the area. And then really what sold us on Boston was just like how many people are in the city and how few churches there are in proportion mm-hmm. to the number of people. So um, you know, 4.5 million folks um, in Boston Metro. And then like a, the most generous estimates would put like 12% of those people self-identified as Christian. Wow. And so there's just not, I mean, it's, 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 uh, you know, Northwest, Northeast are all typically the top two and all those Barna studies about least church, least Christian areas, things right. like that. Um, even though, you know, Northeast has, has a rich uh, Christian history. So, so there yeah. were those factors, a global, uh, global city factor. You feel like if you could, make gospel impact in Boston, you're really touching different corners of the world. And yeah. then when we took some trips there, we just, uh, we just loved the city. So we wanted to do ministry in a place we'd want to live no matter what. So yeah. that really kind of sealed the deal for us. And then, so we moved out to Boston in 2013 with six friends uh, that took jobs in the city and just started meeting in our house and did that for a year. 
and then just kind of slowly just got the ball rolling on a church plant. And um, yeah, learned a lot. A lot would probably do different. A lot um, would do the same, but like God's, God's, you know, sustaining mercy and uh, creative power to birth the church through what we were doing was pretty incredible. That's awesome. Okay. So when you're there, give me like a highlight from the first year. And did you have any like funny, embarrassing moments early on? And I'm sure there were moments that you felt, I mean, church planning is some of the hardest work in the world, but like any, anything that you kind of laugh at yourself at now when you look back on it? Yeah, there, there definitely, I mean, there's a lot, um, you know, uh, man, I'm thinking of, uh, I'm thinking of one of our church, early church planning meetings where like, I didn't have a whiteboard. So I just used a, like the etch a sketch board that like Julian, when he was like two, and I just like wrote our strategy on it. <laughs> and just people, I think people were just kind of like, wait a second, if we're writing our church planning strategy on like an etch a sketch board, like this, this is not going to work out. <laughs> so that, that one definitely, that definitely stood out. Uh, I definitely stood out. And I remember that, um, man, I'm trying to think, uh, what are some other funny things oh yeah we had service one time uh on a sunday evening and it's this big i mean it's a classic church uh in the city it's huge building built in like 1870 something like that it's gigantic uh it's massive but because it's so big that also means there's various rodents in it so i remember like being up preaching one time and then someone just goes ah they just like shriek and i looked down it's like oh no my zippers like my zippers probably undone but like it was like it was a mouse that ran across the front um (laughs) so so uh so yeah so there's just just stories man uh just stories of uh just funny funny things stories of great things stories of you know heartbreaking sad stuff just kind of kind of every every life emotion you know you you feel that in any you know serious creative endeavor you take so definitely the same yeah (laughs) um what were did you have a highlight from your first year there a highlight from from your maybe maybe say like a highlight from your time in boston uh, as a whole, what were some of your bright moments there? Yeah, one one of the things that we really loved about uh, Boston and we miss um, is just the city. So just, uh, I mean, just the creativity of God in the city through culture and food and people. Uh, we miss that uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, one thing, especially on our street, we had uh, we had just great neighbors, um, probably 10, eight to 10 neighbors that we really loved. Uh, and so we had prayed before we got there that God would just bless us with great friends that were neighbors. Yeah. Um, obviously, we'd want our we want them to know Jesus, but we just we want to have great friends and, and just be and just be blessed by people in community. And so we definitely had that. So I loved just so many uh, hanging out in the backyard of our neighbors, um, hanging out on the porch with our neighbors and, and those families that we just cherish those memories with them, you know, even to this day. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and so you, you get done in Boston and start to transition to Memphis. And, uh, and we talked about the first kind of the initial time here. Um, a lot of people might, might or might not know that you also write a lot on the side about culture and music yeah. and stuff like that. Um, you you want to give us two or three artists that you've been listening to or, or, or maybe projects that have really grabbed your attention in the last little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I do like to write uh, quite a bit. So you can check out um, if you go to thinkchristian.net and just look my name up, you'll see a bunch of stuff that I've written there. So some recent right. things that I've liked that I've written. Um, I wrote a, an article about Mac, Mac Miller's um, recent single called Good News. Um, right. And so I, I really uh, I really appreciated that song. It's strange writing about um, music that's released posthumously. So, you know, he's, he's died. So it felt weird to like, how do I analyze this, you know, respectfully, but I thought the song was really, um, 
was really instructive, I think, for Christians and people in general, because, you know, the song, some of what the chorus gets out on the song is like, good news, good news, that's all they want to hear. They don't like it when I'm down. And just this, uh, this pressure that I think he's expressing uh, from people to like, pretend everything is fine. Um, And how opposite that is, of what Christ invites us to, right, where we get to unburden ourselves. And we can, um, you know, the good news is not pretending that things are good. The good news is confessing that things are bad. And so, uh, so I thought that was a really, um, really interesting to see those, him wrestling with those things in his music. So really enjoyed that. Um, Man, I haven't, uh, honestly, like since this quarantine, I've been listening to a lot of just like classical music to Mm -hmm. just have something to like block out the noise of the house. Um, But that Matt Miller piece I like. And then another thing I wrote recently, um, I, I watched the movie Contagion. Um, which it, okay. uh, was definitely an, an exercise in, in fright <laughs> is what I said in the article. Um, but, I, but I watched that and, and wrote about it in relation to Psalm 91, which Pastor Jason had preached on yes. recently. So you can, you can check out both of those, I think, Christian, right. and just kind of like how much of our, mod, our, our current reality is reflected in that movie. Uh, but then, you know, the comfort that we're invited into in the time of real fear through Psalm 91. And so just recognizing that, you know, uh, God isn't calling us to pretend that we don't have fear, but but to actually, you know, figure out the appropriate ways to deal with that. So those are two things that I, I've written recently. Music-wise, I would say probably that Mac Miller Mac Miller song, um, but that's that's kind of it for me. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Uh, well, finishing up here, last last thing I wanted to ask you was just um, if you were in front of all the young adults in the church and wanted to kind of give some type of charge or encouragement, and it might be what you just talked about from the article, but um, some type of charge or encouragement for this next season of, of uncertainty, what, what would you, what would you want to give to them? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think a few, a few things I would say, you know, um, I would say in times of uncertainty and acute, acute fear and anxiety, like just recognizing those things are normal. Um, you know, it's a, normal biological response to be like <laughs> afraid uh, or uncertain about the things that are going on. Um, and then it's just a, a matter of like being aware of that mm. and then just responding appropriately, you know, so it wouldn't be healthy or wise to try to like suppress those things. Uh, and it wouldn't be healthy or wise to, to let those things completely overcome you. And so mm. I think directing those things towards, towards God, uh, towards Christian community, uh, towards the community that you've built uh, at fellowship. And um, and I think some of the ways you can do that, I would encourage people to like, just make make their home uh, in the Psalms in, the, in this period of time, like um, take up take up a lot of reading that is nourishing for your soul. And that, uh, you know, increases your confidence in, in God and his care. I think the Psalms would be a great place to do that. Um, and I, I would encourage people to just stay connected and also to recognize like things are seasons, which means they may be going on for an indefinite amount of time, but that also means that they won't go on forever. Uh, that's, that's what a season is. It might be a long one, but, it, but it's not a forever thing. You know, God is forever. God is eternal. The things that we're going through right now are not, even though they're difficult. So those will be some of my encouragements. Um, and uh, yeah, read some good books. Like, you, you know, if you, you got opportunity, you have a, find some extra time on your hands. Um, it's a great time to invest in yourself and, and read some good things. And, and then if you need stuff, if you feel like you're, you're alone, you're really down um, or you need help, you know, reach out. Um, yeah. People that I'm, I'm so, so encouraged by how many people I've heard from that want to help others. And so if you need yeah. something, you know, make, make that known. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on today. We appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we to catch up a little bit, and uh, we'll we'll tag 
um, your writing in the articles and stuff. Where can people find you on social media if they want to follow you going forward? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my just my name, uh, Claude Acho, on on Twitter and then on Instagram. Um, I'm on and off of those things. Uh, period periodically on, periodically off. But like usually when I'm writing stuff, I'll post things there. Or if I feel like if I have something that really is meaningful to say, then I'll say it. So yeah, I would love to love to keep in touch with people on those uh, platforms. Sweet. Enjoyed it, man. Claude, we'll talk to you yeah, soon. Yeah, man. Fun. All right. Thanks, JD. Take care. Right. See you. All right. Yeah. A common one bit.